0: Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of Ten Adventures, and this is the Ten Adventures podcast. Each week we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the Ten Adventures podcast. Uh, It's exciting because Karen is back. Uh, From her trip to Central Asia, and she's only here for a short period of time, so I'm excited to hear uh, about what happened in Central Asia, because all I have seen is what was on social media. So, Karen, welcome back. How was the trip?
1: Oh, it was really good. It was really, really good. It was quite hot for much of it, but uh, really an exciting place to visit.
0: Can you maybe just give an overview of where you went? Because I think it's kind of an interesting kind of overall trip.
1: Yeah, we decided to go um, to Central Asia because we really wanted to go into the mountains of Kyrgyzstan. Then we kind of added in some other places as well since we were in the area. So we started in Uzbekistan and went to the, you know, major highlights in Uzbekistan. And the highlights there have a lot of Islamic architecture, the Aral Sea, and then went into Kyrgyzstan and rented a 4x4 and drove around much of it, although there was a lot more to discover, and then ended up for a few days in Kazakhstan.
0: So I've always been fascinated by Central Asia, but I know for a lot of people, it's not, you know, anywhere near their bucket list. Why was Central Asia on your, your bucket list?
1: Uh, Mostly it was, um, we were headed to the mountains there, you know, it, it was the summer, and we wanted to get into those mountains in Kyrgyzstan. So that's why we ended up there. And We love Islamic architecture, so that was just a bonus.
0: So I know right now, you know, if you go to parts of Asia, it's really hard to get in. There's, you know, still lots of restrictions here in September 22 in some countries in terms of, you know, getting in or traveling freely. What was it like traveling around Central Asia in terms of, you know, access, COVID restrictions, all those types of things?
1: It was so easy. Like... Some of the easiest entries I've had were on that trip. Those three state, or countries in Central Asia have dropped any visa requirements for many tourists. Entering Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan, there was no visa required, not even visa on arrival. It's just show up, stamp your passport, and off you go. So that was really easy. And also those three countries had dropped any COVID regulations as well. So there wasn't worry, any worry about testing or need to show a vaccine certificate. It was just so easy. So that was a big draw.
0: Now, I know uh, other countries in Central Asia, have they followed the same suit? Like, can somebody go and explore all the stands without visas? Or like, do other places are they still, you know, having restrictions of movement or or visas or whatnot?
1: I mean, I think it depends on what passport you hold. We chose those three countries because for the passports that we were traveling with, which was an EU and a Canadian passport, there wasn't any hassle. We had initially thought about going into Tajikistan, um, but it did require like a real visa, like where you have to mail your passport in beforehand and. I just didn't have the time to do that, so we didn't go to Tajikistan and Turkmenistan is fully closed right now, so that's not even an option.
0: Uh, interesting, interesting. So, so let's start with the with the, you know, the place you started in in Uzbekistan. You know, I was surprised. I've read lots of books of people cycling through Uzbekistan or going on these around the world drives, but I kind of hadn't seen all the the beauty that you know was on your Instagram. Can you share? A little bit about what made Uzbekistan, you know, special for for you on this trip.
1: Yeah, I mean, just one of the first things is it was so easy to travel in. Like to get from place A to place B was very very simple for the most part. The biggest draw in Uzbekistan would be the Islamic architecture there um, from the Silk Road era, and it's really just stunning like really really stunning so we um started we flew into samarkand And there's the famous Registan there, which is a huge complex of Islamic buildings. But there's more than just the Registan. There's much more. Um, So we spent three days there. And then we went to Bukhara, which is another big hub along the Silk Road. A lot of people had told us that was their favorite city for the Islamic architecture that they visited, although I think... um, we preferred the other two more. So it's just personal choice. And from Bukhara, we went to Kiva. The funny thing is, as we were going along, because this was in June, it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And, um, (laughs) and so like, by the time we got to Kiva, it was like, 40 most days you know when it was hottest outside so we would we would plan an early morning foray into the city come back and read a book in our air-conditioned guest house room and then go out later in the day but it was still excellent and then at the last minute we decided to go from Kiva take a look at the Aral Sea. The Aral Sea is a sea that it used to be a big sea, and the villages that were on the sea um, were quite wealthy for fishing. It had a huge fishing industry, but at some point, the government—and it was the government of the uh, of Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, because the sea is in both countries—decided to use the water for um, irrigation and. There's been a rapid recession of the Aral Sea and now that town that was once a thriving fishing village is in the middle of a desert, you know, so it's quite, quite a big impact.
0: Traveling in Uzbekistan, you know, one of my favorite things is just, you know, going to your city, just walking around, exploring, you know, local restaurants, cafes, and, you know, not necessarily having an agenda, just kind of just exploring. Is that something you could do? in Uzbekistan? Like, like, is it a place where you can kind of just have like a nice coffee and people watch? Or what do you do in the city? Is it more just go see a site, go see a site, go see a site?
1: I wouldn't say it's go see a site, go see a site, because the site is the city itself. I mean, it's obviously a certain area of the city where all this old Islamic architecture is. But I mean, that's pretty much all we did, Richard, is we just would, you know, leave our guest house, wander around, look at The registan. I mean, the first day we arrived in Samarkand, as an example, we arrived at four in the morning and my body was still on North America time. So I was like, and it was beautiful out, it wasn't hot. So I was like, let's go do something. So we just went for a walk at like five in the morning and we walked to the registan. the, the register and the official entrance is closed as you could imagine at 5am but the guards were like oh do you want to come in and climb the tower and we we're like well they didn't actually speak english that well but we got the idea so we're like oh yeah and we had read if you just tip them a little bit they'll let you go in and climb up to the tower so the whole place was empty We walked in and climbed the tower and tipped the guards. And, you know, it was amazing. So, yeah, a lot of what we did. I mean, that's what I like to do as well is just wander and see what's around. Although our focus was on seeing these amazing things because they they really are, like, fantastic.
0: And then was it, are these places where there's lots of other foreign tourists? Or did you feel like, oh, they're, you know, we're kind of an anomaly being, you know, Western travelers
1: I don't think we're an anomaly, but it certainly wasn't... It wasn't like going to Disneyland. <laughs> like, um, you know, there were there were other tourists there. There were a lot of national tourists. Because really, um, I think tourism in that part of the world, it's picking up, but it's not full force like, say, it is in Europe this summer, right? So, and I mean, in many places, speaking English was an issue. You know, we had done Duolingo uh, Russian for a little bit before we went, so we would at least have a basic vocabulary, you know, when needed, and it certainly came in handy. Although most of the hotels, the staff would speak a little bit of English.
0: Like, how do you get around? Like, are there trains? Do you hop on buses? Do you just hire taxis to go from like city to city to city?
1: Well, in the cities, for the most part, we walked. But if the distance was great, this is just in the city, we exclusively used Yandex which is the Russian version of Uber because then you get rid of any kind of communication issues, right? Like I'm going here, I'm getting picked up here, that's it. So if you don't speak much language yet, that made it very easy. And then getting to city to city, that was, you know, I was so anxious about that, especially since we don't really speak that much Russian or Uzbek. They have a train system that goes between all those major sites And part of it is actually very, very modern. It would be like comparable to a European train and very efficient. So that was pretty good. We did take one overnight train from Kiva back to Tashkent. And now that was an old Russian train, like really old clunker. But, you know, luckily we slept for a lot of that one.
0: And was it in Uzbekistan where you guys were getting all the delicious plav to eat? (laughs)
1: We didn't have plov that many times. We had read a lot about plov. So plov is their national dish and it would be a a rice dish with meat on it. And we had read a lot about it that, you know, it's supposed to be like really quite oily. And we started in Samarkand and we went to this, you know, really cute little outdoor cafe and we ordered plov there, and we ate it, and we're like, well, this is quite delicious, you know, it would be similar to like a pilaf or uh, a fried rice, you know, that kind of idea, or a, an Indian biryani. It was like really good, and we're like, oh, I don't know what all that fuss was, but in Tashkent, we went to... Well, I always refer to it as the International House of Plov, likening it to the International House of Pancakes, but it was like this huge facility that was known to have really, really authentic Plov, and it's created in these huge vats, you know, wood-fired. You can walk around and look at all of them. It's like, you know really it's a really fantastic site but uh, when you sit down the first thing they ask you is do you want horse or no horse i i think they know that a lot of tourists do not want horse
0: (laughs) for a while your instagram basically became just a plov centered uh instagram which every every post seemed to be about plov
1: well it, it is like that's what you're offered every place you go like the the menus are all very, very similar in all of those countries, unless you end up in the big city at, you know, like a Thai food place or something. But the local restaurants all serve, you know, pretty much the same thing. And one of them is plov. Now, it's funny, the authentic plov, I, it wasn't as um, to my liking as much. So I realized, oh, the one I liked, that was the tourist-focused plov. Oh,
0: Okay. Now it seems every, you know, every YouTuber that I've watched that goes to Central or goes to Uzbekistan and I'm reading books. And even I think Linda who she was on our um, on our podcast about a year ago, she cycled around the world. Everyone gets food issues or tummy issues in Uzbekistan. I think you guys didn't have any issues with the with the food and tummy trouble.
1: Yeah, no, we didn't get any issues our whole trip through Central Asia. And after that, we went to the Caucasus and we had no problem there either.
0: Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Um, do you have any tips? Like, did you do anything different? I guess, you know, do you think there's anything special that helped you? Because it's, it's kind of like, for me, it's almost like this deli belly people get in India. It seems every every time anyone goes to Central Asia, they tend to get some sort of tummy trouble.
1: You know, I'll just add as an aside i never got tummy trouble in india and i went four times so i don't know maybe i have (laughs) got some steel i don't know no we the only thing we did is we didn't drink tap water you know we always had bottled water or i brought a filter so i used a filter i mean i think i read somewhere that you can drink the tap water but i was always like "Uh, i don't want to take a chance so i never did but yeah i never had any issues
0: And then for accommodations, what was what was that like? Is it is it kind of just like, you know, boutique hotels or small family run guest houses or?
1: I mean, there's a really, really wide variety because it's um, I mean, there are a, a number of tourists that go there. So there are some, you know, big, fancy, high end hotels in Tashkent. I didn't stay there and then there's lots of small hotels more family-run and then a large number of family-run guest houses so in general if I'm thinking about it yeah we stayed at all family-run guest houses at at varying sizes Um, and the people there are so like kind. So everywhere that we went when we were staying at these guest houses, the families would go out of their ways to, you know, be friendly, share tips with us. The Like the nicest experience we had was we stayed in a guest house in Kiva and it was a small guest house and it had really great reviews and now I know why. And it was, you know, a a young family. They had two young kids like, you know, a four-year-old and a one-year-old who were just so darling and the dad spoke English and the mom was, you know, really trying to learn some English and the grandfather was there as well and they were just so nice we'd come back from going around and they'd offer us some watermelon or they were teaching their four-year-old some English so when we'd come back to the guest house the little four-year-old who was such a doll would look at us and say hello how are you (laughs) you know it was so cute and uh, at one point I said to the father, oh, I guess he's learning English so he can follow in his father's footsteps and take over the guest house. And he was like, yes, absolutely. So it was it was really fun to meet those people and, you know, stay in some nice places. One of the guest houses in Samarkand, it was an old synagogue, if you can believe it. That was a family owned, like family synagogue that this other family had bought. And then they had kept this, the room that was the synagogue. And that was the breakfast room. It was just beautiful. It was, it was like being in a museum. And then they had this open courtyard that um, where you, the rooms were. So, I mean, it was really, really interesting just staying in that guest house.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. After Uzbekistan, you went to, to Kyrgyzstan, which has always been a place that I've been interested in just You know, seeing the photos of, you know, just the beauty of the mountains, and they always just seem like it's, you know, everything's packed here in North America and the Alps. It just seems like this empty, you know, really authentic place to go exploring. Is that what you found? Like, like is it this just wonderful place for, for hiking and exploring in the mountains?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you could spend so much time hiking and exploring in the mountains in Kyrgyzstan, and I mean, really there there are other tourists there but you know compared to a hike in you know the American National Parks or you know the Alps or something there's so few people that you run into so it's really really special. The highlight when we were there is um, we drove this not very good condition dirt road out to a little settlement where we left our four-wheel drive and walked not too far like maybe six kilometers to this alpine lake which was spectacular and we were planning to spend the night there and when we got there you know we could tell it was getting pretty cold and we were thinking wow I hope our gear's warm enough but we'd made you know we traveled so long to get there we set up our tent and we ended up being the only people by this amazing high Alpine Lake the whole night. And the next morning we woke up and saw the sunrise and we never saw anyone until we were almost back at the car. It was really epic.
0: Wow. Wow. And, and you mentioned you rented a four wheel drive. And so when, when I first, you know, heard about that, I'm like, Oh, that seems really, you know, really ambitious or exotic driving around Kyrgyzstan. But I thought, well, maybe it's just like driving around like Europe or, you know, America, that there's, you're in a four-wheel drive, you're on roads, and like, did it feel exotic, or or did it make you anxious, or did it, did it just kind of feel normal once you had it?
1: Yeah, the thought of it beforehand made me feel pretty nervous, like, oh my gosh, what are we getting ourselves into? Um, but, and, the, and then when we went to rent it, Gosh, it was like so professional, like when we went to rent this vehicle, you know, they had this, you know, extensive checklist of all any damage that they had noted on the car so that we wouldn't be, you know, inadvertently charged for something that was already there and a full walk around. So then I was like, okay, well, this is feeling slightly better. And then once we were on the roads, once we were out of, out of outside of Bishkek, which is the capital, it was great. It was really great. We started driving around this huge, huge lake called Issyk Kul, And um, the roads there were all paved and really, really nice. Um, and then when we went, you know, towards that other lake that I was talking about, there, there was a lot more dirt roads and it, we were glad we had the four-wheel drive, but... Uh, It it was a lot less intimidating than it felt like uh, when we first arrived.
0: And so did you have the four-wheel drive for your entire time in Kyrgyzstan, or did you also use public transit there?
1: No, we had the four-wheel drive for pretty much the whole time, except for the days we spent in Bishkek, obviously. They were that we ran into people using public transit, and it can be done for sure. A lot of people do it, but... It is a lot of work, so most of the public transit would be um, using marshructas, which would be minivans and pretty much the driver waits until the minivans filled up and then it takes off so it could Take off in 10 minutes or it could take off in two hours and there are main routes that it travels but but they don't travel to all of the sites people want to see so there are you know the common things people really want to see and you can't always get a marshrukta there but what people will do is take a marshrukta to the town where they go closest by and then get a taxi or a shared taxi because in there you can share a taxi with other people the same way you go to a shared taxi they say it's this much per seat and then when all the seats are full it leaves but people were also like taking a taxi like to a high mountain lake so a really common one is Songkul but it's quite a long drive and people usually spend the night there so part of the deal is you'd hire a taxi and you'd have to pay for their meals and their overnight accommodation in addition to the taxi fee I mean I think it was still pretty reasonable so we met many people who were doing that and they were, you know, getting by just fine. Certainly they saved a lot of money doing that, but we really enjoyed the the freedom that we had. You know, we didn't, we just could go wherever we really wanted.
0: And are there certain, you know, towns or places to be based at? If, you know, if, if you want to go there and do like a, a hiking holiday where you're doing day hikes, like, like, is there a place like Banff or Chamonix, like obviously not that developed, but a place where you can kind of be based in a village that has accommodation restaurants and has, you know, lots of nice hikes within kind of a 10 or 30 minute drive.
1: Maybe a bit longer than a 10 or 30 minute drive. So there's one town right by that large cool Lake called Caracol. And many people will base themselves there for a few days and do hikes, including some overnight hikes, but then come back to Caracol. So that is one place a lot of people go. I I found Caracol itself not to be the most scenic place, but the mountains around there were really, really lovely. And there's one kind of really famous short hike, not short, but it's a short overnight hike where you hike into Alton Arishan. And it's kind of a valley between some really beautiful mountains. And there's yurts there. So a lot of the overnights, you don't have to worry about having a tent or even a sleeping bag because there's yurts in many of the places. Um, And also the yurts will provide your meals while you're there as well, if you want. I mean, you can bring a tent and camp there too, because free camping is allowed in Kyrgyzstan. It's a nomadic culture, so... It's part of their culture. So you could bring a tent and camp anywhere, really. Um, But the yurts also provide also like a safety net as well. But then even from Alta there's lots of people will stay there like in a yurt and do day hikes around it as well. And then the other place that I heard a lot about that we didn't visit is a city called Osh. Um, it was just a little bit too far away for the time that we had. But many people visit there and do spend a lot of time there as well. So that that struck me as another place where you could base yourself.
0: You know, the idea of just having a little yurt to come back to and spending a few days and, you know, not having to worry about food or, or tents or being warm or cold. Uh, that sounds really attractive. Kind of a like what an exotic long weekend if you just happen to be in Kyrgyzstan.
1: Yeah, if you're passing through. Yeah, actually at Alton and they even have a hot springs. And the yurt owners have built little, you know, huts around the hot springs. So that, you know, you can go to the hot springs, go in nude, get, it's like having a bath, come out, towel off, go back to the yurt. So you even feel clean.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, that sounds pretty special. Um, now you went to Kazakhstan next. That wasn't as great for you, I don't think, as... Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan but do you want to talk a little bit about you know your experience in Kazakhstan?
1: I mean part of the issue for us for Kazakhstan was that um, unfortunately we had got COVID when we were in Kyrgyzstan and so at the end of our our trip got cut short because since we were sick we just um, isolated ourselves for a number of days kind of the same number of days that we would isolate if we were at home and then after we had done that, we kind of had that post-COVID fatigue and we had a lot of nausea. So we weren't contagious, but we still weren't feeling very good, like really low energy. So we didn't really have the energy to go out and explore a lot. Um, and so I don't really feel like I had a good sense of, you know, what Kazakhstan had to offer. We we stayed you know, a number of days in Almaty, which is the capital, which, you know, is, is really a cute little city, or not a little city, it's actually a big city, has a lot of parks, and it has a number of Orthodox churches, which is kind of surprising after seeing all of the Islamic architecture in Uzbekistan. Um, to then see like Orthodox Christian, you know, cathedrals, it was kind of a, a bit of a shock to the system. Yes. And also the one of the highlights, they have a, a big Russian spa there. So it's an old Russian spa where, you know, you go in, you're separated into men and women, and then you go through a series of, you know, hot, hot saunas and a mineral bath and a, like a small, cool pool. And you have the option of being beaten with uh, sticks from a certain certain tree. I forget the tree, but we did not opt for that one, the beating. Because it was funny, it was so hot in Almaty, like it was high 30s. And my Canadian bones really aren't used to that. And then We were going into saunas that were, you know, at 50 or so. And at one point I'm like, why are we doing this? And no, I don't want to get beaten by with sticks and pay for it in 50 degree heat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's funny. Kazakhstan, for some reason, has always been on on my bucket list as well. I think reading old Russian books about the Kazakh steeps and I've always wanted to go and then when I remember when you said oh wasn't that great I was like oh no like that kind of was a bummer for me but you know hearing that was mostly due to COVID uh, that makes it uh, makes me still hopeful that uh, that'll be good when I eventually get there. Uh, it, it sounds to me like this trip in general like was one of that really over de- delivered I know your, your last trip earlier in the year to Patagonia was like kind of one that under delivered But, like, would you say, like, Central Asia was easier, safer, better than than you'd expected?
1: Yeah, I think it was better than I expected. One, because there was just no hassle with entry um, or exit. That was super nice. And yeah it all just went effort and also it felt really safe like everything I'd read about Central Asia was how it's really safe and there's virtually no petty crime and uh, that was really nice you know like I'm pretty cautious when I travel and everything as far as petty crime but I don't know it felt really easy.
0: Central Asia is going to stay uh, up high on my bucket list of places I want to go, and uh, you're off on another trip. You know, you're only back in Canada I think for a couple of weeks or a bit longer. Where are you off to next? Because this is a pretty cool uh, trip you're you're going on on now as well.
1: Yeah, well, we're um, planning. We're leaving in a few days actually, and we're going to cycle the coast of Oregon and California. Um, We have a vague plan. We don't have a definite plan. We'll just see how far we get. But um, yeah, we're going to get ourselves to Astoria, which is right on the border between Washington State and Oregon, and then start cycling along the Pacific Coastal Route south. And the weather forecast is, you won't believe it, two weeks of sun.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect. I know. Um, now, most of your 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 bike touring, you know, you end up staying in in B and B's and and hotels. Is will this be the longest one where you've been camping for the majority of it?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're bringing a tent and sleeping bags and a stove because I did a week of that trip many years ago with a friend of mine, and the campgrounds that we stayed in. It was only a week, but some of them were just phenomenal. Like the, there was one state park we camped in, in Oregon, where you had, you were like on a cliff with this epic view of the ocean. Like even the other campers, it was only the hiker biker tent sites that had this epic view where all the other campers were set back. And so I was like, that was actually the highlight of the whole trip were some of these campsites where we were so this time we're going to do more of that although I must admit if it if we get a long stretch of rain I'm going to check into a hotel
0: <laughs> yeah no, know that's that's like there's nothing better when you're soaking wet with wet gear and your tent soaking to get into a hotel I know from uh from backpacking that's like the nicest feeling on earth I and mean, I'm in a hot shower and drying out. Wow. What a life of adventure you've, uh, you're living this year. Uh, thanks for sharing this. This has been great to, uh, you know, travel on vicariously through uh, your trip in central Asia. And uh, if you want to uh, follow Karen, you can go at adventure after all on Instagram and she has great photos and you're just kind of always, always on the road doing something cool. So it's a fun way to, to travel if you can't get away uh, and explore the world
1: thanks for having me Richard
0: and with that thanks for listening to this episode we'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures on the 10 adventures podcast listen to other episodes of the 10 adventures podcast on Amazon music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures we hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 adventures podcast if you liked it, why not give us a review, better yet subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.